Um, uh, the, the life cycle of a butterfly looks a little something like this. Before you can get those beautiful, magnificent creatures with the beautiful, colorful wings and patterns, they're actually, the first thing is that they're an egg. And from the egg, they hatch, and then you get these little creepy, crawly things called caterpillars, right? Usually these little hairy things with a bunch of legs. And those, those are the caterpillars. And then the caterpillar forms a chrysalis. It forms a chrysalis. It, it hides in there for a little bit. And then when it emerges, it comes out. This is the, the, uh, ad, the, adult, the adult butterfly. It emerges from the chrysalis. It breaks out of it. Um, but it can't fly quite yet. It has kind of it has wrinkled up wings, and it's like it, it can't really fly yet. You know, it needs to strengthen its wings. But then finally, once it strengthens its wings, then it can fly away. You know, I think that we can use this as an example of the change that we experience when we come to Christ. When we come to Jesus, we 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 come th- we go through this process. Now, of course, it's a flawed example for sure. It's not a perfect example by no means, but but as an example for us to follow. Before Christ, we are sin-stricken. We're condemned to spend an eternity apart from God. But God has infinite love for us. He wraps us in Christ's righteousness. And we emerge a wrinkled-up butterfly, right? We, we emerge a wrinkled-up butterfly trying to spread our wings and trying to fly. Today we're beginning a brand new series. It's called Renew with the subtitle, No Longer the Same. And we're jumping back into the book of Ephesians. If you remember last year, we began going through the book of Ephesians, and we hit the pause button right around the holidays. Uh, The book of Ephesians, just to give you guys a refresher in case you forgot, is actually a letter that Paul wrote um, to the believers in Ephesus. Um, These were a group of believers, probably he planted the church there. He had a a very strong influence in the planting of the church there, and through one of his missionary journeys in Ephesus. And so he was their pastor. He was their shepherd. He actually cared very much for these people. And he writes his letter to them. Of course, guys, this is before text messages and emails. He's sending a letter to them so they can read. And, uh, and in this email, he's expressing to them um, the, 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 the greatness of Jesus and all he's done in this great, rich gospel theology and also the practicality of living that out. So where we're entering now, it's, uh, it's describing the practicality of Ephesians 1 through 3. That's what we're about to go into. Because, because we've experienced God's grace in Jesus, it compels us to live differently. Okay? It compels us to live differently. Paul said that we were dead in our sin and trespasses, but that we were made alive in Christ. Do you guys remember that at the beginning of Ephesians? In other words, because we've experienced God's grace in Jesus... Because we've experienced his great love and his mercy, and because we receive so much, we are no longer the same. We are made new. So here's the big idea for today. In case you're going to doze off or whatever, go to sleep, write this down real quick before you do that. Here's the big idea. Here's the big takeaway. Jesus makes us new and leads us to live differently. Jesus makes us new and leads us to live differently. Here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to make the argument that as Jesus makes us new, we also live new. As Jesus makes us new, we also live new. In other words, we live differently, right? We don't think the way we used to. We don't talk the way we used to. Even our swag is different. We don't walk with like a sinful pride. There's a very real change that we experience when we come to Christ. But beyond the exterior, because of what Christ has done to us and through the power of the Holy Spirit, even what can't be seen changes, right? Our motives change. Our desires change. Our intentions 
experience change as well. So it's not just the exterior, the way we look and how we talk, but it's even the interior, our motives, our emotions, all that changes. But of course, it's a process. It takes time. And while we experience freedom in Christ and forgiveness of sin immediately, there's a journey and a process of putting putting of death, putting to death our flesh and sinful desires. There's this process that happens that goes on. And in this passage, Paul is going to compare what a life without Christ and what a life with Christ looks like. What does a life with Christ and a life without Christ look like? He's going to call it this way. He calls it the old self and the new self. All right? Old self and the new self. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you have an old self and you have a new self. And as a follower of Jesus, you no longer live the same way. Paul said it this way in another letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. I would love for you guys to read this verse with me together. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Super popular verse. You probably have it on a coffee mug somewhere at home. Here's what it says. You ready? Read. Go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and see the new has come. Right? The old has passed away, the new has come. This is the big idea. This is the big example that Paul is sharing. This is the big idea. This is what he wants you to know. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about examples of how we are to live out our faith. And as we go through Paul's words to the Ephesians, I want you to think these questions. Okay? Think about this. What are areas in my life where I fall short and I don't model Jesus? Where are those areas of sin that I need to put away and walk in my new self as a follower of Jesus? Those are the questions I want you to ponder and meditate upon as we go through Paul's writings in Ephesians. Okay, Here's the first thing he's going to say. The first thing Paul's going to say um, is futility of thought. That's number one in your notes if you want to fill that in, futility of thought. What is futility? We don't really use that word, vocabulary word of the day. We're going to talk about it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. Now, real quick, would you guys just underline um, where it says you should no longer live and then circle the word Gentiles. All right, so, sir, so underline the phrase, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live, and then just circle the word Gentiles. If Paul says you should no longer live as the Gentiles live. Now remember, Paul's audience, the one that he's writing to, the church in Ephesus, it's a mix. It's a mixture of Jews and Gentile readers that he's speaking to. So what he's not saying is don't live like Gentiles, because in this letter he's talking to Gentile people, right? So, and he's also talking to Jewish people. So he's not saying don't live like a Gentile, live like a Jew, They were believing Gentiles and they were non-Christian Jews. And so he wasn't saying doing that. Instead, he's making the comparison to the way that many pagan and godless Gentiles in their culture was living. And how were they living? Well, one way, he said, was futility of thought. What does that mean? Another translation of the Bible says this. Uh, Maybe you want to underline that word and right next to it, write this. Write vain thoughts. Vain thoughts. Futility of thoughts, what does that mean? Vain thoughts. In other words... Thoughts consumed about oneself. Thoughts consumed about oneself. Now, how does this compare with us today? Well, we live in such a selfie-centric culture, right? There's a constant pull and a desire to be the center of attention. We want all eyes on us, and it's super evident when you uh, look through social media, and where everyone only puts, myself included, you only put the highlights, right? You only put the good days, you never put the bad days. 
And those are the pictures that we post. And that's what we want everyone to think about us. It's a selfie-centric world, a consumeristic world that we live in. And Paul, what Paul is saying, um, Paul is saying, don't live like that. Don't allow yourself to think that you deserve all the praise, that you deserve all the attention, that you deserve all the worship. That actually belongs to Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we ought to be more concerned with giving Jesus glory than giving our own selves glory. I'll say that one more time, that as followers of Jesus, we ought to be more concerned with giving Jesus glory than giving it to ourselves. So futility of thought. Here's the second thing Paul says is this, hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. Here's how he describes it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Why don't you guys go ahead and just underline the hardness of their hearts right there in your notes. What does a hard heart look like? What does that mean? What does it look like? Well, it's a heart that is stubborn. It's a heart that is unrepentant. Someone with a hard heart, they won't admit they're wrong, even if they are. Right? It's a heart that is rebellious. It's a heart that is callous. It's someone who is unteachable. That's what a hard heart looks like. Did you ever meet someone like that? Uh, don't point at them if they're here, okay? But did you ever meet someone who had a hard heart like that? You know, it seemed like their heart was made out of rock. You know, there was there was this debate um, once between a Christian and an atheist, and the Christian asked them, "Let's suppose that God were real to you, and if God were real, and you had every proof and every evidence that you ever needed to believe that God was real, would you surrender to Him?" And you know what the atheist answered? The atheist answered, "No." He said, no, even if he had all the evidence, even if he absolutely knew the truth that God for certain that God was real, he said no, because then it would mean that he would have to listen and obey to God rather than himself. Guys, that's the definition of a hard heart. I want things my way no matter the consequences. A hard heart does not want to allow anything else to penetrate it. It is a, it's a reluctant, it's reluctant to hear from God. It's a heart wanting to seek out and fulfill its own desires regardless of the consequences. Here's what Paul is saying when he says this. Paul is saying that that is how our hearts were before we met Christ. Before we met Christ, we had hard hearts. But by Christ's doing, we were able to have hearts that were melted by the love of Jesus. And in fact, that's the only solution to a hard heart. In fact, look at what God said. I love what is said through the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Look what God said through the prophet to the, his people, to Israel. This is Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Why don't you guys read this verse with me? Okay, ready? Go. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. See, only God can remove a heart of stone. A hard heart is caused by sin and it's caused and is maintained by unrepentance. Do you guys remember in the movie Frozen? Uh, it's died down a lot, Frozen. I know some, some kids still have frozen fever. But do you guys remember this? Um, there was a line that said this. Only an act of true love can what? Can thaw a frozen heart. Do you guys remember that line? Right? Well, they were right. Except it wasn't what Elsa did for Anna. Ultimately, it was Christ's act of true love on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin and for my sin that can thaw out our hard and frozen hearts only by Jesus' work on the cross. Here's the next thing that Paul mentions, number three in your notes, a desire for more and more and more and more. I want more. A desire for more and more. 
He says it this way, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Why don't you guys just underline that last part there in the verse. Now, I don't know how many conversations I've had um, with people who are stuck desiring more and more. I say they're stuck because they can be blind, so blinded by wanting more that they can't even see the blessings they have in front of them. They can be so blinded they don't see the blessings of God that are right in front of them. And, and it makes them more miserable because they want more. What this oftentimes leads to, guys, is jealousy. It leads to greed. It leads to coveting. You begin to compare yourself to others around you. Hmm, look what they have. Look what they drive. Look at the house they live in. Look at the sneakers they have. Look at this and that. And comparing yourself to what others have, and then you long, and, and you get jealous and envy and covet what it is they have, and then you want it. You begin to compare yourself, and you desire to long what they have. And what it does is it develops a sinful attitude of ingratitude and selfishness. Now, of course, this is not just about physical and material things, because Paul says there this bleeds over into putting yourself into compromising situations, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, just in the pursuit of more and more. Look how James says it, and he helps us solidify this point in James chapter 3.16. Go ahead and read it with me, okay? Ready? Go. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Where those things are, that's where disorder and evil practice comes from. Now, guys, is there anything wrong with wanting nice things? Not at all. Sin enters when what we want becomes all-consuming and all-encompassing. Sin enters when we'll stop at nothing to get what we want, no matter the consequences. Sin enters when we're willing to compromise morally and spiritually and sexually in order to get what we want. Because where there is selfish ambition, where there is envy, there is every there is disorder and every evil practice in those things. And Paul is telling the Ephesians, don't have a sinful desire for more and more. Don't have a sinful desire. Instead, be grateful. Be grateful for the, how the Lord has blessed you, for what you do have. Don't cover your neighbor's things. Don't cover your neighbor's wife, right? Be happy for them. Celebrate with them. Don't compromise emotionally. Don't compromise physically or, or, or sexually. Allow God's desires for you to be stronger than your desires for everything else. Let me say that one more time. Allow God's desires for you to be stronger than your desires for everything else. So Paul's going to say this. In number four in your notes, he's going to say, take off your former way of life. Take off your former way of life. And we're going to read uh, three, three verses here. Three uh, verses 20 to 22 is what we're going to read. Next it says this. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. To take off, to take off your former way of life, that old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Now, I love the language that Paul uses here to describe letting go of our former way of life. He says to take off our former way of life. And when I first read this, first read this um, you know, uh, once again, back into science class, it reminded me of lizards and snakes. You guys know what lizards and snakes do, don't you? They, they shed their skin, right? They, they shed their skin. Do you know why? The reason is because the animal's growing, 
And so when the animal is growing, it needs to shed its skin. It needs to lose its old skin so that it can expand and grow. Now, obviously, this is a flawed example in comparison to what Paul is saying here. But I think it does help prove a point that in order to step into the new life in Christ, we have to let go of the old. We have to take off the old. The old self is corrupted by our old sinful and deceitful desires. Now, I think it also paints another beautiful picture for us, and I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. But we take off our old self, and when you take something off, what do you got to do? You got to put something on, right? So here's the next thing he says. He says, put on the new self. This is the last point that we're going to talk about today. We're wrapping up real soon. But he says, put on the new self. Let's read verse 23 and verse 24. Here's what it says. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Put on the new self. You see, because we've been renewed by Jesus, we take off our old self and we put on our new self. The new self is the one that isn't submissive to our old sinful desires. Instead, it's created according to Jesus. And here's what I really love about these verses. To me, these verses paint a beautiful picture of baptism. You know, this is what baptism is all about. Right? Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he looked at the disciples and he said, Hey, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, share the gospel with the world, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is an act of obedience for followers of Jesus. And this verse helps us paint a beautiful picture of baptism. Baptism symbolic, all it is is an outward expression of an inward change. It's an outward expression of what God has done to you inside. And while your decision with Jesus is a private decision that you make, Lord, I decide to follow you, make you my Lord and Savior. It's a private decision between you and God. Baptism is a public declaration of that faith. You, you, you make a public declaration. You get, you get baptized in front of friends and family, your church family. And you're sharing with the world. And you're letting the, the world know, I have decided to follow Jesus. And these verses help paint the picture of baptism because baptism is symbolic. It's that outward expression. So this shows you the perfectly, the, the symbolism behind a baptism. You see, baptism is, a sim, is symbolic of you dying to your old sinful nature. And as Jesus was buried in the grave for three days, you're submerged into the water, representing death to your former way of life. But as Christ conquered the grave and, and rose again, you rise from the water in the new self, redeemed, cleansed, forgiven, and purified in Christ. There's nothing magical about the water that we dunk you into. There's nothing magical about the act itself, okay? But it is symbolic of dying to self and being resurrected in Christ. If you've made, a follow, if you've made the decision to be a follower of Jesus and you've yet to be baptized, then we want to help you take that next step. In fact, the connection cards that you received, when you came in on the back, there's a next step for you. That, that might be your step. If you've never been baptized, you made the decision to follow Jesus, check that off. In the next couple of months, we want to help you take that next step. But if you're here today and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, I also want to give you the opportunity to do that. You see, today we spoke a lot about things that we shouldn't do, right? We talked about the futility of thoughts and we talked about all this stuff that we shouldn't do or things that people without Christ actually do. But the biggest takeaway that I'd like you to leave with is that we all fall incredibly short. That we all fall short and that ultimately our redemption doesn't come from doing more good, 
doing more good things. It only comes from a good God in Christ Jesus. It only comes from that. The Bible says this, that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love, great love for us, that he sent Jesus to die in our place. That punishment, the punishment for our sin, it was death and eternal separation. That's what we deserve from a holy and righteous God. But God in his infinite love for us instead sends Jesus. And Jesus dies in our place. He dies for our sin. And he conquers Satan's sin and death. He rises from the grave. And in his life, not only do we get forgiveness of sin, but we get a new life. Jesus stepped in our place. He took the punishment upon his back. The Bible says that whoever puts their faith in him will experience the forgiveness of sin and the newness of life. That's all you have to do today. If everybody would take out their connection cards for just a moment, I'd love for you to take out a moment, fill out as much information there as you feel comfortable. Um, but on the back, I want to turn your attention there. Is that if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then I would love for you to check that off and let us know. We just, we just want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to walk alongside you. We want to encourage you in this journey. Today you have the opportunity to do just that. As we finish today, I really want you guys to remember these next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about a lot of practical ways. Many practical ways that we can walk, or as followers of Jesus, we should walk, and how our lives should look different and should change. But then never forget that the redemption that we have, that we share, the freedom that we have is ultimately in Christ. That we're always going to constantly fall short. You guys remember in the beginning I talked about the butterfly, right? How it goes through all these um, it goes through the, the life cycle. Ultimately, where I feel we land on that example, because you're not actually a butterfly, in case you didn't know, but where we land in that example is uh, we, we're a crumpled up butterfly. When, when, the, when the butterfly first emerges from the chrysalis, it doesn't start flying right away. Its wings are crumpled up, and, and it has to strengthen its wings in order so that it can begin to fly. And I feel in that example, that's where we are. We're the butterfly with the crumpled up wings trying to stretch it out, trying to be more like Christ so that we can fly. Ultimately, that beautiful butterfly with the stretched out wings and perfect in all, in, all, in, all, in all its ways, ultimately we'll reach that when we get into heaven. But for now, we're just crumpled up butterflies trying to follow Jesus, trying to live our lives and look more like him each day. Would you guys join me in prayer as we finish? Uh, Jesus, because you've made us new, we can live differently. Help us every day to look more and more like you. Help us to abandon our former way. And so often our sin has a powerful draw to, to, do, to do what we've always done, what our sinful cravings desire. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, allow us to put on a new self, the new self that is washed and made new by the blood of Jesus. Help us reject those vain thoughts the stubborn and hard heart, and the sinful desire for more and more. Renew our minds each day and help us walk and look like Christ more and more each day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.